Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Today in history in 1952, West Indian cricketer Viv Richards, who earned the nickname Master Blaster as arguably the finest batsman of his generation, was born in Antigua. Welcome to What the Fuck History, where we discuss the wackiest and weirdest things that make us say, well, what the fuck history. I am the ghost of past, present, and future Zachary, and yes, I know about all of your sins. My name's Megan, and I am just wondering why I don't have a cool nickname like Master Blaster. And I'm Matt. Today I learned that dads abandon their children at Disneyland because they think it will lessen the impact of them abandoning their child. What What the the fuck? fuck? (laughs) History. Okay. That's that's a stat. That's that's not history. Two wild dad facts about Disney that I know. So what's the other wild dad fact? Yeah, tell us the other dad fact. The other dad fact about Disney that I know is that there is an Instagram page called Dilfs of Disneyland. Nice. Where it's just a bunch of buff dads with their kids at Disney. (laughs) And honestly, it's life goals. Like, one day I want to be featured on Dilfs of Disneyland. That's great. Um, That's crazy. Are there Milfs of Disneyland? I don't know. It just doesn't have the same alliteration, so I don't really care about it. I mean, it doesn't. But, like, I'm really invested in MILF Manor now, so... I, I can't... I don't know. I can't get behind it. I can't. My my coworker tried to get me into it. He's like, you're going to come over to my house and watch MILF Manor with me. And I'm like, why? I hate reality television. It's not about loving it, Zach. It's about watching people be extremely uncomfortable on camera. being able to look away from the train wreck. Yeah, but at the same time, I asked him if Young Gravy was involved. And when he said no, I said, I don't care anymore. That's fair. Young Gravy should be dealing with all the MILFs. Yes. Um, he should be the host of MILF Manor. So, to get... Oh, my God. There is no host, okay. to be fair. Never mind. What were you going to say, Matt? <laughs> well, I what just... I didn't know. I, we can go back to talking about MILFs after, but I figured you guys would want to know about dads abandoning their wanna... kids at Disney. Yes, I do want to know. So, I, know. I was just scrolling through the internet and found out that there's, like, a shocking... I don't, I, it's probably not like a trend, but there are a number of dads who like get into lines with their kids and then say that they're going to like run to the bathroom quick and then just never come back. But like, why? And then like the parks have to deal with like child services. I, I hate that. I hate that. Uh, It does remind me of a conversation we had earlier where I once again said to Megan, if you're going to make the fuck trophy, why aren't you going to pay attention to it? I don't, like, all I can imagine is that, like, the fuck trophies are expensive, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, the average cost per year for a child in this country is $15,000, but... Yeah, I, I'm not like, making that money. I know, but, like... 
I can't. I don't think abandoning your child in general is a great fucking life oh, choice. No. Zach, but doing it I'm in Disney saying. World to a to, to like a like assuage the guilt that you have and make it feel like you are less shitty. Right. Ain't good. Now, yeah, I'm not like what's going to happen? Mickey Mouse thing. is going to fucking come over and be like, huh? sorry, your dad doesn't love you. Yes, that is exactly <laughs> what Mickey will <laughs> that do. That is that is what happens. Now, I could also be Gorge, it looks like you've been left in the park. <laughs> I could also be the victim of an Internet bamboozling. I mean, aren't we all sometimes? Because um, I didn't verify any of the facts. I just watched, like, a thing that said, hey, sometimes dads leave their kids at Disney. I was like, that I sounds mean, like a fun way to start a podcast. So here's the thing. Yeah. Um, I was yelled at by a middle-aged dad today. Love that for uh, you. Yep. I, I was. Am I allowed to say vile words on this podcast? Um, I mean, that's all we do, so. We have not gone so far as to say the c word yet okay well that is what i was called ah oh well and i gross hey, megan you have my phone number right uh yeah why if that ever happens again just call the brute squad yeah hi oh i'm God. the brute squad zach and i are both the brute squad you are the brute yeah, squad it was it was, it was very <laughs> weird I'm the brute squad. um and if if those dads are like anything like that dad like something happens to middle-aged men right so i can see them abandoning their children yeah at disney I like for too. no reason we have a dad demic in this country we do have a we dad definitely demic. yeah we definitely do like and i think it could be solved by therapy i mean yeah a lot of things in this country need therapy this country yeah. included yeah the country needs therapy um, it needs therapy desperately um, or it just needs, like, I don't know, maybe dads just need, like, willing family members. This country to, like... needs a better dad. Uh, yes. Honestly, dads need dads. Dads, dads need, need dads. dads. Um, I'm going to get us going here. Yeah, get, get us going. Uh, I just want to let the listeners know um, we would have reset our strikes to zero, but I did make a joke before the podcast. If you listen to our it After Dark seg- segment. Um, you'll hear it. And so I am starting the podcast with one strike. My compatriots are starting the podcast with zero strikes. Uh, we played a fully imaginary game of rock, paper, scissors. It happened only in our minds and only for your benefit. Uh, the order that we will be presenting to you in tonight is Megan first, because we agreed upon it last week. Zach second because his story is funny and me last because my story is wholesome so buckle up and let's get started all right um i actually just wrote this one tonight what's up uh i i wrote this story tonight like you know how i have like a holy shit oh well it's a fresh take it's fresh i know it's a fresh take well we started making fun about french and this one happens in france so nice (laughs) and china and oh and china okay yeah and in the world of make-believe which is gender ah wait um wait what clarify well gender's made up gender's a construct gender is a social construct just like time yeah okay so this also takes place in the world of gender oh got it Um, okay okay yeah so, the title of my story is Gender is Made Up, but Espionage Matters. Good. Oh, I love that. 
Yeah. So, um, like I said, uh, gender is like a social construct. It's pretty, and it's pretty like complicated. And like, so is sexuality. I think we can all agree on that. I think. Um, yes, we can. Yes, we we can. Uh, these are facts. I think it's changing like, every day, and all of us will remain ignorant forever. Until ignorant but yeah. diligent. Ign- <laughs> ignorant <laughs> but always but erring t- on the side of wanting to do the right thing. Yes. Yeah, erring on the side of caution. Um, so that being said, I'm not really sure why this whole story like even happened, to okay. be honest. Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, I have nothing funny to say about that. I, like, I read this whole story I and think, I was like, I don't. I think the sentence itself was funny enough. Uh, I mean, that's good. Cause I was just like, man, I usually have like these intros to these stories. But like, by the time I got to the end of the story, I was like, why, why did this, did this whole story thing... happen? Okay, but that's yeah, like, like most of history where it's like, I mean, you could have avoided this whole mess if you weren't a fucking idiot. Megan, I, I told mean, a I... story on this very podcast about a war that lasted 38 minutes. 30, that's true. You did. So, and... like, I think Zach's right that pretty much any situation in history could have been stopped by, like, now hold on. Well, hold on. Yeah, so I guess, like, I just wanted to preface that, like, when you're confused, I'm also confused. Okay. Like I All don't, right. I don't have an explanation to the things that are gonna be happening because I had like four different articles open about okay. this story, and like all of them had slightly different information, and none of it was like clarifying. That's not always the best, but I love that. <laughs> yeah, so I we guess we do like, our research. Without... Just sometimes research fights back. <laughs> It definitely was fighting back. I was like, I'm out here fighting for my fucking life, like, trying to figure this out. But <laughs> anyway, um, so, like, without further ado, let's go back to ancient history. And by ancient history, I mean the 1930s. Uh, we have our main character, one of our main characters. His name is Shi Pepu. Um, and they were born in China and Shandong's province in 1938. But uh, they grow up in Yunnan learning French while attending Yunnan University, the French part is important. Okay. I don't like yes. stories where the French part is important, but I'll allow but it. But here we are. Also, as a side note, yeah. can I can I just like add this little uh this little story? Megan, it's literally um, our podcast. You can do whatever you want. Amazing. So uh this will be shitting on the French more. But then I'll definitely when... allow it. Am, amen, brother. So when I was studying Chinese in Taiwan, like I was in a cl- I was in classes with like other foreigners from like different countries who were also learning Chinese. So like I could understand like their Chinese with whatever accents they were sort of throwing on mm-hmm. to it, right? Like, you know, you could understand Thai people speaking Chinese or like Korean or whatever. Yeah. Um but the one group I could not understand were the French trying to speak Chinese. It was like slowly drowning in a river of too many vowels. Yeah. And then they would get aggravated like when you couldn't understand them because they were absolutely like butchering. Yeah. Wait, so you're telling me that the French were upset that you couldn't understand them? That's not a surprise. Well, I mean, I mean take like, the it's, marbles it's... out of your language. <laughs> yeah, like take the marbles out of your language, out of your mouth, like... And, like, watching French people try to speak Chinese is, like, 
I, I don't know, dude. It's like watching them speak French, but to the left. The like, Hindenburg of cultural exchanges, I understand. Oh, man. It, it truly is. It's a vowelistic car crash. Hey. So, anyway. <laughs> I want to just briefly do an aside to us in the future. Hey, what the fuck history podcast people in the future? This is why we don't have fans in France. I, I don't give a shit, okay? They're mean. They're, like, they're mean. And I've, their city smells like, like piss, so. That's so true. Where's the piss? Where's um, the piss? So, me saying that is, like, I don't know if this goes the opposite way, because, like, I've never heard a Chinese person speak French, so... I don't know. Maybe maybe it's worse. Maybe it's better. Who can say? Anyway, so that's my little story. So she learns French and at 17 becomes an actor and a singer of like, you know, mild renown. Like people can pick him out of a crowd. So enter stage left. We have our French boy, Bernard. Bernard is such a good Bern- French name. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't. I think his last name is Boriscott. That is not okay. French. Um, That's not French at all. But okay. Didn't you? Used I mean, to that's have a how. Name Bernard. Me? Yes, I did. Yeah. I'm gonna put the last name. Maybe Zach can offer some enlightenment because it doesn't inherently look French, but he was born in Paris. Oh what? yeah, no, that's a French name. <laughs> how do you Boriscott? That's a French ass name. <laughs> anyway. So I'm going to be saying Scott, I guess. Um, I mean, I feel like, to me, it's like Boerscott. It's probably Borsco. Or Borsco, yeah. Borsco. Okay, so Bernard Borsco. Let's go with that. Bernard Merlot. I'm not drinking any more Merlot. Bernard Bordeaux. That's really the... Yep, Bernard Bordeaux. (laughs) We could make Uh, fun of this man's last name for the entire podcast oh for the entire i mean i'm really tempted to call him bernard we should bernard let's go yeah okay so bernard let's go who was born in france in 1944 so really missed you know missed the spicy bit of just missed the spicy bit yeah just missed the the spicy bit (laughs) Uh, so during his youth, he attended various boarding schools, schools where he had various um, homosexual relationships with other students. We love that. But uh, love we that do love that. We love a gay king. Explore your truth. Uh, he was exploring his truth. Um, he thought it was like a rite of passage that most students shared in in French boarding schools. So he's like, "This seems. This is good. Like this is normal." He thought that <laughs> Bernard um, got to boarding school and was like, "Gay is in. Gay is hot. I want me some gay." He thought yeah, having gay experiences like, was part of the boarding school curriculum. Okay. Yeah. I it was, was like I was making sure dinner. that I understood that sentence. Correctly. I have getting that dick one hundred and one at eight a.m. This semester. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I have I have anal play at 6 p.m. So like <laughs> after dinner, I I gotta go. So um, he was. So upon graduation, he was pretty determined to have sex with a woman for the first time and like settle down and have a family. <laughs> so because that's with how that, that works. Boarding school. I, okay, yeah, I, so boarding school was his first. <laughs> he had like a yeah. sexual awakening in boarding school. And then yeah. decided he would try women. No yeah, sex. Like, all the butt sex. I wonder what a vagina's like. 
Yeah, he. I mean, like, I think to be fair, he ended up becoming like a bisexual king. Okay, later. okay, fair enough. Okay, so like, I learn think, your truth. Yeah, I, th- I think that's where he sort of fell. Um, so with with the goal in mind, though, to have sex with a woman for the first time, mm-hmm. he at the age of twenty arrives in Beijing for his job as an accountant with the French embassy, the sexiest of jobs. Accounting. <laughs> Yeah, at the French embassy in Beijing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's like, I'm 20. I'm ready to hit it. This is the city of hookups. He said ready to hit it, but what he meant was like hit the numbers. Yeah, he was like, I'm going to hit these books and the clubs. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, you know, I'm getting paid so I can maybe pay these women. It was unclear what his plan was. <laughs> getting um, paid, trying to get laid. There we go. Try Getting paid, trying to get laid. Not really successful, I think, at first. Was he successful at so, getting paid, though? Yeah, I mean, I assume they had a payroll in an HR department at the French Embassy. Uh, or they could have been paying him in Brie. The cheese? <laughs> yeah. So One who, wheel a I, week, baby. One wheel a week, and that's that's light for a Frenchman. So, he's in Beijing, he's an accountant, he's looking for love in all the wrong places, and this is where he, in 1964, meets Shi as a party held by the second highest ranking officer in the French diplomatic headquarters. So, like, this guy's having, like, a cool... Uh, you know, little soiree, and he's like, "Everyone's invited. I'm going to invite this uh, this opera singer who also happens to be a Chinese teacher in the diplomatic community because she wore wore many hats." Um. Anyway, so they like immediately hit it off. Like Bordeaux and she are having a good time, um, but she is dressed like a man. Okay. However, he tells Borsko that he is a woman and that he has to dress as a man to please his father who wanted a son. Okay. Okay. And Borsko believes him because she has like a lot of feminine features and he actually played female parts in Beijing operas. And he's like, I have no reason not to believe you. Like we're really hitting it off. Like I'm willing to have like the hookup glasses on. Like I'm willing to see whatever you're telling me. So the two, it's 2 AM the bar is closing and I'm willing to go home with whoever is here. Got it. Yeah. Like I am willing. So the two continued to keep up um, and in touch after the party, and they met several times, and the pair eventually decided to take their relationship to the next level, and they start having sex. Now, at this point, you're probably saying, hey, wouldn't this be the point when this French guy, like, figures it out? Uh, and the answer is Clearly no. not. He does not figure it out. So their encounters were always really fast, um, and like kind of clandestine. And also she had the ability to, uh, make his balls ascend into his body cavity. And somehow he claimed that he could manipulate his dick into creating the illusion of a vagina that allowed for superficial penetration. I'm not a scientist, but this seems like a pretty cool thing that the body can do. 
Again, yeah. why did this need to happen, though? I'm like, more concerned more... <laughs> about the fact that someone wrote about it. Oh, we're getting to it later. Okay. So, now it's time for the espionage. Alrighty. During, yeah, like, the... I forgot we, that we the had story the gender. was about espionage, if I'm being honest. Well, yeah, this is... Please. <laughs> like, there's there's a part two. So the espionage happens during the 60s when these two are having their affair. So during the 60s, China's in the throes of like the Cultural Revolution, which is like this really sticky point in time when the communist government is trying to like weed out everything that they perceive to be like holding them back. Um, And when the Chinese government like discovers Xi and Borisko's affair, uh they start pressuring Borisko into providing documents from the French embassy in Beijing. They're like, oh, like, she works for us. You should give him or her uh, the documents to make her look better in the eyes of the Communist Party. This will, like, give her a leg up. And so Borisko's like, I love her. Like, I will give these documents to her. I don't see why not. Um, so this happens over the course of a decade. Okay. And during this time, she and Borisko couldn't meet as frequently as they once had. But one, on one of their rare rendezvous, she produced a four-year-old son and claimed that it was theirs. Like, okay. it just produces That's a boy. not great. Yeah, it's just like, this is our son. Where and did Borsko you procure this boy from? All right, time He's... to go to Disneyland. Oh, <laughs> no. my God. Not okay. No. <laughs> you know what? To be fair, Borisco believed him and essentially adopted the kid. Which is nice. Like, yeah. Which is which is nice because she did purchase this this boy from a Uyghur woman in Xinjiang. I don't know how. This story... Is I, why? Why did it? Why did any of it need to happen? So, in 1979, Borisko returns to France and he loses like contact with Xi, but then like refines him in 1982, and says, "Why don't you and our now 16-year-old son come to Paris so we can live together as a family?" And she agrees, and they they get to Paris, and it's a good time. Um, however, the fairy tale wasn't meant to last because Borisko was arrested in 1983 by agents of the Direction de la Surveillance de Tetore, aka French Homeland Security, where he was questioned by authorities and revealed, revealed that he had given she like 150 confidential documents. Oh no. Yeah, oh. it's a lot of confidential documents. That's a documents. decent amount. That's a good amount of confidential documents. It's a lot of confidential documents. So, you know, their case goes through the courts and in 1986, like the two of them are essentially sentenced to 6 years in prison for espionage, and it was then that Borisko finally learns that she, the woman he has been having a sexual affair with for the past 20 years and believed that he had a son with, was a man. Hmm. Okay. Like, he is so upset by this that he attempts suicide in prison by slitting his throat. Oh my god. He does survive. Good. Okay. And then the following year, she is pardoned by the French El Presidente 
in an attempt to like help Chinese French tensions. Mm-hmm. And Borisko also obtains a pardon that year where he's released to the French public and subsequently made an object of French laughter because they're like, ha ha, how could you not know? Fuck the French. Because <laughs> that's, that, I assume that's how the French laugh at people. They're like, ha ha. I'm fairly oh, no, certain it's that it's ha ha. Ha ha. Yeah. And then they throw like, in like a baguette. Yeah, they throw, they definitely throw in the baguette. So upon being released from prison, she returns to the opera and to his adopted son, and he tries to remain in contact with Borisko, saying that he still loved him even a month before he died in Paris at the age of 70. Um, and Borisko, on the other hand, was like over it. He declared that he had no sadness over she's death and that the slate was clean and he was now free. And when you were like, I can't believe someone wrote about this, uh, their story actually inspired the play Madame Butterfly in 1988, which won the Tony that year. Holy fuck. Nice. Yeah, so... I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I know. Like, the story is really strange because, like, when I said I didn't... Like, why did any of this really need to happen? I... It, like... Borsko was clearly fine with, like, homosexual relationships... Yeah. So I'm not really sure, like... Why it needed why... to be lied about? I guess, yeah. And then, like, I... I don't understand why the lie had to then go on for so long. And, like... I don't know. It, I couldn't it's find so... a reason. It's It's hard. Because, on one hand, subterfuge in a relationship is shitty. You should be open with your partner. Um, yeah. But two, we have an issue with gender politics in the modern day and age. Yeah. I can't imagine what they were like in 1860. So. Yeah, so this happens in like the 1900s, right? Which like, okay. not great. Even Yeah, 1900s, I, I can't imagine what gender politics were in that day and age. So, like, maybe she was, you know, a person who, you know, identified as female but never got a chance to, like, fully and that's con- yeah. embrace that because of the politics of the time. Or just the time in general, like, poli- or just the- politics aside. I mean, we've told stories on this podcast of, like, uh, women who were, you know— born male that's not the right term and i apologize for that but assigned male assigned male at birth that's the one um and like they've gone on to live full lives or it might have been the opposite either way like these people people that have like they've lied their entire lives just because of the time that they were in and the parameters of society like politics yeah politics notwithstanding just the way that society perceives or like would react or anything to those particular circumstances um it all becomes like a it's all just shitty it's shitty and it's not gotten any better i was gonna say so what we're saying is that historically and currently the world is pretty shitty to the transgender community Got it. Historically and currently. Yeah. Historically, currently, yeah, so... futurely, probably because the, the, it's the, not gonna. 
Can I get the one thing is, is like it, it's it's an interesting story in the fact that like a lot of it was you know this subterfuge that it feels unnecessary because we on this podcast are very open minded people. So to us, it's like, well, you should talk about that with your the person you're in yeah. a relationship with. But yeah. you also have to look at it the other side of like that maybe was a you know thing that was said like you can't have this conversation. People don't have that conversation in that day and age. The interesting thing also, and I'm saying this just as, like, a person, for us to say, like, we should have that or you should have that conversation with your partner, we're speaking from a position of privilege where we could oh, have yeah. that conversation, you know? Well, that's what I'm saying. Right. Is, like, we have we no, like, open-minded people. Yeah. But we can't talk about <laughs> we, we can talk about and discuss what has happened. Right. But we, like, we, but we can't don't have the full know context. at all what it was like or how that person felt. or So it's so... Mm-hmm. That is the point I am trying yeah, to make. Yeah, no, no, I get you, I get you. I'm just saying. long-winded than I did. Yeah, it's just, these stories are so, like, stories about um, people that felt the need to lie about who they are always are just interesting to me because I have never felt the need to lie about who I am. So it's yeah. it's interesting seeing how... I, like other people have dealt with it. Yeah, I guess mm-hmm. it's just interesting to see like how they adjusted their life course to um to suit the time that they lived in. Yeah, exactly. That's a good way to put it. But yeah, I thought I thought it was like an interesting story because there are a lot of like gray areas in it and yeah. especially with like how gender is being brought up in the media lately um always antagonistically i thought it was cool to talk about especially for like cultures that aren't ours right like oh absolutely a lot of the american perspective but like i don't know what was it what was it like in china and in 1960 what was it like in france for it in 1960 like so yeah it's it's very much seeing how that discussion goes not only in different time periods but in different cultures yeah again like i love these stories because again speaking from a position of privilege speaking as a straight white man a cisgendered straight white man i don't have that context but i feel the need and the want to learn about the context so to hear these stories is always interesting and like i I always try to do my best when we tell these stories to have some perspective, but with the understanding that I can't have all the perspective because I don't go through it. Right. Yeah, I mean, like, you can't. But it's nice to hear because, like, it is important to, like, read stories and, like, get the get perspective and just, like, keep an open mind. Yeah. So, Absolutely. I mean, like... I, I didn't really mean for this to sort of, like... Spiral into become, a story or us talking like, about how I, stories are weird? No, I think, like, I guess I was, like, more... When I was reading it, it was more interesting to... Uh, not that, like, talks about gender aren't interesting. I was more confused about, like, why, why the all story... of the information wasn't straight. <laughs> yeah. Like... I was like, why is there so much conflicting... Why the story was so convoluted? 
Yeah, like, why was it so convoluted? Like, to me, of the en- I... And it's, hard, it's a spy story, baby, and all spy stories are fucking whack. I guess. I was like, it, like, it wasn't even that much about the spying. Like, people, people were willing to be like, yep, spying, that's part of war. And they were more focused on, like, hmm. I think... Ultimately, what you do with those balls, though? I think, yeah, I think ultimately what you uh, what you came across here was everyone who wanted to talk about a homosexual relationship, and then like had to sneak the spy stuff in just because. Later, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. it's like we can't just make this a story about like gender. Right, we have to like somehow make it about spies i don't know it was that that is kind of how that's like listening to you tell it that's how it sounds is that like someone just wanted to tell a story about you know a relationship yeah and they added spy drama for added also (laughs) it it was unclear whether or not like whose side people were on yeah right like on one hand, they made, like, she out to be, like, a villain, and on the other hand, they were just like, oh, Borsko is the villain, and I'm like, I don't know, man, I think it's just, like, tough. Yeah. In it's the rough day and age. It's rough all around, so, I don't know, why are we blaming people? The suicide attempt, though, I don't know. This is a little dramatic, but whatever. Well, speaking of dramatic, I'm going to go into my story. Yeah. Um, because my story also has a very dramatic person in it. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And living for it. Well, this isn't the time for Christmas tales. Uh, It is time tonight to talk about the author of one of the most prolific holiday stories, Charles Dickens. Charles. You see, Charles might have been known in his time to be a compassionate man who cared greatly for the suffering and the poor. You know, a Christmas carol is kind of like, hey, don't be a piece of shit with your money. Don't be a Scrooge. Don't be a Scrooge. Uh, But he also had a few times where he kind of let the demons out, so to speak. What do you what do you mean? <laughs> well, one of those times involved another famous author, Hans Christian Andersen. Holy shit. Anderson was Well, Anderson was the biggest fucking simp for Charles Dickens. Oh my god. A diehard fanboy whose dreams came true 
when the two of them meet at a party in 1847. Dude, this is like Jules Verne, Edgar Allan Poe. Like, I love it when other authors simp after, like, like moody boy authors. Okay, you're gonna you're gonna love and hate this story. Okay, um, I'm so ready for it. So it's the summer of 1847, and they the two authors meet at this party, and Hans Christian Andersen spends the entire night flaunting over Charles Dickens, like all fucking night is just by his side and just talking his ear off, and He's at like, one point even you? calling him quote the greatest writer of our time. Oh my god, that's so cute. And the party ends, and they go their separate ways. Crush. But they, he does have a major crush. He's got a um, crush. He's got a little author crush. Little author crush. Little author crush. But the, the two become kind of acquaintances. Um, and well, Hans, after, after a full night, greatest... after a full night of schmoozing, he yeah, gets they like kind of acquaintances. Yeah, kind of acquaintances. Like Hans ends up getting Charles's address and writing him a bunch of letters. Gets his um, number. Yeah, basically, he's like, what's your number, girl? Um, I can't believe it. The two become sort of acquaintances, and they send a couple letters back and forth. Um, Nothing major. Nothing Um, salacious. At least nothing major in the eyes of Charles Dickens. However. Oh, my God. This is so sad. However, Hans took the fact that Charles Dickens was writing him letters as if it was God giving Moses the Ten Commandments. Stop it. And he goes a little wild. Wow. He's like, we're fucking best friends. Yeah, he's like, oh my god, I'm Charles Dickens' best friend. He loves me. me tell you about my best friend. Best friend, Charles (laughs) Dickens. He continues to pester Charles with letters for nine years straight. Amazing. Oh, I wrote you every day. Yes. Hi, Stan. (laughs) It's me. Oh, shit. It's me, Stan. Uh, yeah, fucking turns into Eminem Stan. Um, to which Charles basically makes the mistake of writing him letters back. Yeah. Um, oh, no. Most of these letters are full of old-timey ways to be petty and sarcastically tell him to go fuck himself. Um, Why? He loves you. Well, Hans is smothering Charles. Oh. And this is, this is uh, like this is their so their equivalent of texting every one second. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and it's just every one, day in, for nine years he gets a letter <laughs> uh, from fucking Hans again. And Charles actually, in one of his letters, sarcastically says to Hans, "Like, yeah, I mean, I guess if you're ever like." In the area? In the neighborhood. Oh, my come God. Swing by. Oh, God. Rookie mistake. Rookie mistake because Hans doesn't get the sarcasm and immediately packs his bags to visit. Oh, my God. He's like, I'm on my way, Charles. And Charles is like, wait, no. Gets the letter, I'm on my way. Oh, my God. Except by and the like, time Char- that he got the letter saying, I'm on my way, it would already be too late. Yes, yeah, exactly. He's, like, he's literally already there. He's, he's like already knocking at the fucking doorstep. Door. He delivered the letter saying, I'm on my way uh, himself. <laughs> I'm on my way. So in March of 1857, Hans rolls up and is like, writes him a letter being like, hey, I'm coming your way. I'm going to be outside. around. Um, uh, do you mind if I just like come chill at your pad for a fortnight? Yeah, Waze says I'll be there in 11 hours. 
And he's like, yep, I'll be here for a fortnight. See you soon, bestie. XOXO. See you soon, bestie. Um, and immediately this is where the story goes off the rails. The story was already off the rails, Zach. <laughs> oh, it gets worse. Okay. <laughs> it gets a whole lot worse before it gets better. I don't like that the sentence. Thing is, I'm, already, I'm on the side of of Hans. Like I'm Okay, you will not be on the side of Hans for very long. But like I feel bad for him right now. I'm like he just like this is his hero. Yeah, he is he is his hero, but like Charles was trying to politely be like, "Okay, you need to chill." Okay, but he wasn't doing the right he, he wasn't, wasn't doing, doing it the right no, way. No. Not at all. Not at all. But we're going to find out why you don't invite Hans Christian Andersen to come to your house. Oh, no. Probably for a multitude of reasons. Yup. So Hans shows up and right off the bat gets creepy and socially awkward because, oh well, I guess God. he's just a small, insecure Danish boy at heart. He is a small Danish boy at heart. And by the way, that is absolutely not a knock on the Danish people. It's just my brain automatically picturing a small, scared Dutch boy in Lederhosen every time I think of Hans Christian Andersen. Yeah, now. hello. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> hello. Yeah, hi. Is oh, Charles yeah. home? Can Charles <laughs> come out home? to play? Can Charles yes. come out to play? Knocks on the door. Can Charles come out to play? Um, as soon as Except Hans arrives. he said arrives, it way more sinister and way more Dutch. <laughs> Can Charles come out to play? Yeah, that, that's the one. <laughs> so Hans he shows up Werner to the house. asks Charles Dickens to come out to play. He shows up to the house, is escorted up to the guest room, where he's like, okay, cool, I'm going to unpack my bags, and then I'm going to go meet the family down for, like, talking and hanging out with my bestie, Charles Dickens. Charles and Dickens, turns to Charles friend. Dickens and says, oh, yeah, by the way, I need one of your sons to give me a shave every morning. I demand this. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, hey, one of, your, one of your wee lads has to give me a shave every day explaining it away as this weird as fuck request. This just, he just explains this weird as fuck request away as just something that is customary for Danish guests. That's not true. He's making that up. I guarantee he's making that up. That's super making it up. Dickens automatically is like, fuck that. I booked you an appointment at the barber every fucking day. Holy fuck. Maybe that'll give me five minutes of peace in my own goddamn home. Oh my god. So he, we're already he, off to a ripping dude, good start. Dude, what is this making? I don't know. This is making me think of um How to Catch a Predator. No, 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 no. There's a <laughs> it's a movie with Bill Murray where he's like a therapist patient that like really doesn't know how to maintain distance. I have to look it oh, up. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Look it up I'm and I'm looking keep it going. up. Yeah, please keep going. Yeah. Um so it gets worse when also good to note that Charles Dickens right now is trying to leave his wife for a woman half his age. Ah, yes. Um, okay. Because Charles Dickens is a little bit of a dick. Classic. Um, you know, problematic writers. They're all Dude, around. I, I bet Hans Christian Anderson was like, you can leave your wife for me. Oh, absolutely. And so the two of them, they're on their way to dinner at the house and they're kind of like, you know, doing their thing, getting ready for dinner, and they're about to go into the dining room, and Charles holds out his arm for one of the women who's there to, like, take his arm and, like, walk into the dining room. Victorian times. You do weird Please. things like that. Of course. 
please don't tell me what you're about to say. I'm about to tell you because as soon as he sees that arm, your boy Scooby-Doo leg <laughs> fucking sprints across the room and grabs Charles's arm. Oh. The movie is forcing the movie Charles is called fucking Bob, Dickens. By the way. Oh yeah, okay, what about Bob? Yeah. Hans Christian Andersen forces Charles fucking Dickens to walk arm in arm with him into the dining room. Oh Beautiful. Is it? Yeah. At the premiere of The Frozen Deep. Yeah. In which Charles Dickens is playing the lead. Mm-hmm. And which, by the way, the Queen of England herself, Queen fucking Victoria, is attending. Yeah. Hans bursts into tears so loud that it annoyed most of the audience because he just wept with so much like joy from this he show apparently. Loves him. He's that guy in the audience. He's that guy in the audience and apparently apparently after the show throws a tantrum and sulks in the lobby because no one cared that he was attending. No one cared that Hans Christian Andersen was attending. Yes. No one, like, knew who he was. So he was like, oh, poor me. I'm so sad about this. Why am I not as famous as I want to be? Uh, can I fucking remind you that the fucking queen was there? Like, know your fucking rank, my dude. <laughs> I know, dude. Like, can I remind you that Queen Vicky is in the house? <laughs> Vic v queen Vicky up in the house. Like, you're not getting all the attention. I'm sorry. You don't can deserve you any of it when the queen is in the room. You wrote a couple of fairy tales. This is the monarch of this fucking land. Can you chill? Hans Christian Andersen has no chill. He left his chill at home. He left his chill back in fucking Deutschland. Deutschland. While staying with Dickens, Hans receives news that his latest work was given a really shitty review. Oh um, no! Was it The Little Mermaid? I don't. Rem it doesn't. I, I didn't do enough research to figure out exactly which one That's it was. That's fine. Um, but do you want to take any guesses what he does when he hears this news? Does he does have he another cry on the lap of Charles Dickens? He throws himself down on the lawn in front of Dickens's house and just weeps for oh. hours. I'm, oh, but like, why I'm learning a lot about Hans Christian Andersen here. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's low-key relatable, but I mean, also not being relatable. Yeah, here's the thing. If I got bad news now, I'd probably lay myself down in my front yard and weep silently. Yeah. I would Dickens. not go to my pen pal's house and weep silently in his front yard. Yeah, absolutely. Not like I have a pen I... pal to begin with, but, like, you know. Yeah, you, you wouldn't go to some dude you met one time and then was like, I'm coming to over, yeah. and then be like, I'm going to do nothing but sob miserably for several days and in a row. And say that I should be way more popular than the queen. <laughs> and be way okay, more popular than the, the queen. Thing. Things were different in Victorian times. No, like, it's Queen made, fucking Victoria. You made They're called faster. the Victorian times for a reason. Okay, not they probably weren't the Victorian times when she was they queen. They certainly were. They certainly they were literally were. her times. She and is so the Victoria in the Victorian era. Stop it. <laughs> the two of them one day go into London yeah. because 
I think Charles was like, I need a fucking drink at this point. Yeah. I need a break after my my new son that yeah. I unwillingly adopted. This child that busted into my home. This um, child. And the two of them like go into London and Hans being the weird little Danish country boy that he is and never having been into the city, constantly was like, I'm going to be pickpocketed. I, I step one foot into London, I'll forget about it. My pockets are empty. Again, huge Were they tra- actually? No, he was fine. Charles Dickens fanboy, read Oliver Twist way too many times, thinks he's going to get pickpocketed all the fucking time. This, this, the kids are not all right. The kids are not all right. There's a couple. He's a few hamburgers shy of a Happy Meal, for sure. And so as they're on their way into London, they grab a cab because that's what you do in London. Yeah. And I'm not sure if you guys know about this, but cabbies in London have to know every street in London in order to, like, pass an exam. Less so nowadays, but there are a specific type of cabbie in London that do. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm assuming that was... the knowledge or something? Yeah, the test is called the knowledge, and I'm pretty sure it's black Mm -hmm. cab drivers. I... So, yeah, the the black cabs nowadays um, have to, like still have the knowledge but like i'm assuming back then you still had to know where the fuck you were going and they're in the back of this cab and you know it's a little bit busy because that's london and there's traffic so the cab takes an alternate route um oh no what do you do you guys want to guess what fucking happens next I'm gonna guess like hans loses his fucking mind oh hans loses his fucking mind uh. He goes into an absolute fit because he's now convinced that he's about to be robbed and murdered and thrown on the London streets. And he starts shoving every single one of his belongings into his boots. He might be an insane Guys, I'm losing uh, my like for Hans Christian Andersen. Yeah! He wrote some of the, like, best... Like stories from that Disney adapted into things, but he was but fucking he's nuts. insane. Well, I guess it makes sense. I mean, I guess. <laughs> I don't know, dude. Does it make does it make this much sense? Not that much sense. Uh, according to a letter that is later written by Dickens, uh, all of this stuff included. Are you ready yep. for it? I love Dickens right now because he's just like, I don't He's giving all the tea. So this list right. includes a watch. Uh-huh. Yep. All of his cash. All of it. How, a time how tra- much? A, a, I don't know. Oh. Just cash. A timetable for trains. Yeah. What? Okay. A pocketbook. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. A pair of scissors. I could easily oh, fit okay. that in my socks. And a fucking knife. Oh. Okay. Who gave the small Danish boy a fucking knife? I would imagine that he was born with it like all other Danish boys. Like, what the fuck? Like, it was a pen knife. It wasn't like a fucking, yes, a knife. This is a knife kind of knife. Oh, got it. It was just a pen knife. But, like, still, who gave the Danish boy a knife? Again, I believe that he was born with it. The best part about all of this, this entire incident, mm-hmm. is the fact that Hans Christian Andersen only spoke Danish and oh. refused to speak to anyone who couldn't speak his oh, native language. Oh my god, Wait a minute. you waited till Can just Charles... now? 
Dickens speak Danish? I think there was a translator at some parts, and I think what? he did speak some Danish. But like, I can't imagine their friendship growing this strong had Charles not been able to speak Danish. There was one point where Charles also wrote another later letter, which was like, he only speaks Danish, and honestly, I don't know if he has that much of a grasp on that language either. <laughs> oh my god. What a, what a hostile this relationship. This story is toxic. It's so toxic. It's, and I, I also hear what you're saying, which is, Zachary, that's a lot of stuff to happen in only two short weeks. Because, yes, a fortnight is two weeks, in case you didn't know. Today I learned. I d- yeah. And to that I say, of course it was too much to happen in two weeks. Because oh, no. not only was Hans the worst house guest ever... How long he, he stayed stay? three more weeks than he was supposed to. Oh, Jesus. He stayed for five fucking weeks. And oh. he only leaves Charles Dickens' house when he finally gets the clue that he's not welcome anymore. Hans. Like, finally Baby. he fucking gets it. Baby boy. And as he leaves... He once again pulled the Hans Christian Andersen fucking move. He has a tantrum. And he begins to weep. He weeps. He just fucking balls his eyes out as they're like, get off the fucking property, Hans. I need you to leave. Don't come up the laneway. (laughs) Don't come up the laneway. And even better, even fucking better, as he's crying inconsolably, he departs. Inconsolably? And a couple weeks later... He comes back? Oh, no. He doesn't come back. He Don't doesn't, tell me he, he comes doesn't back. come back, but Charles gets a letter. Oh, yes. No. This is my first message since getting home. Pretty much. Just want to let you know I, I made it home safe. <laughs> just want to let you know I made it home safe. He gets that, like, I made it home safe text in the form of a letter where Hans says, and I quote, kindly forget the unforgivable aspect which our life together may have shown you of me. <laughs> What does that mean? Uh, I think what it means is please forget that I stayed in your house for five weeks. (laughs) To which Charles never really replies. Thank God for that. But instead. Oh, no. No. Instead, writes a note and slaps it on the mirror of the guest room. Yeah. That reads, quote, Hans Anderson slept in this room for five weeks, which seemed to the family Ages. Yes. And yes, ages was in all caps. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Yeah, that. Damn. Damn, dude. <laughs> um, Hans Christian Andersen actually a menace. He is a menace. Hans Christian Andersen was a menace. He's Dennis and the menace. also a mess. He was a hot he... fucking mess. <laughs> I can't believe how much of a mess he is, though. Because like I can. He's... Can't I mean? He just seems so normal on paper. On paper. Does he? Have you read yeah, the original no, Little honestly. Mermaid? I mean, I have, but like all I feel like all writers back then were writing fucked up shit. I mean Zach, it's the still man, not the man great. fangirl too hard over Charles Dickens. Yeah, absolutely. Don't meet your heroes. I get it, but also it when you do meet me. your heroes, don't lose your shit. 
Yeah. It wasn't even that, like, Charles Dickens was disappointing. It was like he wanted to have a normal interaction with a non-Dutch-speaking person. So the, the problem is that Charles Dickens, like, had a bad taste in his mouth already because he was, like, kind of over getting all these letters from Hans Christian Andersen. His latest book was not selling well, and he was in the middle of, as I said, like, kind of a divorce, kind of not a divorce. But he also so he like, shouldn't it, have invited this man No, 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 absolutely house. should not have invited Hans over. But, like, already had a bad taste in his mouth, and from day one, Hans was just a fucking nightmare. He was just too much. He was too much, and Hans was like, I have met God, and I need to just prostate myself in front of him. Yeah. Prostrately. Prostrate. Prostrate, not prostate. That's the <laughs> <no> spot. <laughs> All right. He's I like, need I need prostrate. to suckle at the literary teat. Yeah, and then the other problem with Hans is the fact that he was like, I need to prostrate myself in front of God, but also, I have to be the center of attention. Yeah. What? Yeah, that was He had also main character funny. energy. He's no, he, he didn't. He did. had the side character that thinks they're the main character. Right, energy. exactly. Main oh, character. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like it was Charles Dickens being a grump mixed with Hans being like an absolute freak. Unhinged. An absolute freak. Unhinged. And it just was like a nightmare of awfulness that culminated in just like, fuck this, I'm out. And I love that. <laughs> I know. That was a good story. You're right. That was almost as good as Math Gamain from last Math week. Math oh, was you. great. Yeah, you've had some You've bangers. had some bang I, bits. Beans and mash. I do want to get on to my story because I feel like I did, it's that yeah. part of the, it's that time in the podcast. Um, I thought I, I was going to say something super profound, but it didn't come to me. Um, okay. So tonight I'm going to tell you guys a story to shed light on a gentleman um, by the name of Martin Cunet. I don't know if that's how his name is pronounced, but that's how I'm it saying be. it. And I mostly call him Martin through this story. So like, fuck off. Um, okay. So the other I have in my notes, there's a gentleman, a doctor by the name of Julius Hess, who is also an important part of this story. But the main focus is actually on Martin himself. Um, who is not a doctor, and I guess it took a little while uh, for that to be uncovered about him, but he's not a doctor, <laughs> but the other gentleman is a doctor, so if you're looking at my notes, if you subscribe to our Patreon, the $10 uh, part where you get our notes, I do make an intro about Julius Hess. It doesn't matter. Um, so, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I just want you to know why it's there. Uh, so Martin was born as Michael Cohn, in Poland in the year 1869 and immigrated to the United States in the year of our Lord 1888. Um, Martin himself has a long and storied past before coming to America, but most research into his past seems to indicate that he lied about a lot of it. Uh, I never would have guessed. Basically because... Um, the research shows or like the ages that he was when he was claiming to have been doing some of these things were not correct. So like he would have been 19 doing like college courses that were for a senior or some shit. I didn't really dig too much because ultimately what he did in his present, uh, doesn't matter or what he did in his present is only partially attributed to what he did in his past. 
So he lied about a lot of it basically because the ages he would have been uh, while doing some of the things doesn't seem to make sense to most historians. But let's be honest, a lot of things don't make sense to some historians. That's true. Like, why do they call the great, why didn't they call the great bath the wet and wild palace? Correct. <laughs> that will baffle us forever. Uh, so, so in 1903, Martin gets married to his wife, Annabelle May. And in 1907, Annabelle gives birth to a child. But the problem is that their child is born six weeks six weeks early and is just mm. three pounds wow okay uh this was a time when almost no research was being done into uh premature births um three out of every four premature babies died so okay. the mortality rate was super high um, but high. this is also where Martin's mysterious backstory comes into play. Um, so according to Martin himself, he had studied uh, under a gentleman by the name of Pierre Boudin, uh, who mm. used Good job on the French. incubators. I don't we're not going into it. Uh, who used incubators for the purposes of keeping baby chickens alive after their birth. And at a certain point, this research had been thought to be useful for humans. Martin had tried using this technology uh, for baboos. What? For baboos. Baboos. For the for the babies. Yeah, I mean he hadn't. So he hadn't really. So 1903 is when he started using this technology on baboos. Um, baboos, yes. And the way that he started using it on baboos is actually kind of wild, and why we're talking about Martin in general. But before I get into that, I do want to mention that the reason that incubators had not been thought to be used for humans up until this point was because they were expensive to make. They were roughly 75000 per unit. Wait, dollars? Yes. Yeah. Which in 2020 money is $2.4 million <laughs> per, per incubator. Per baboon. Um, per per, per baboon baboo. chamber. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but like I said, he started um, he started curing premature babies with incubators um, in 1903. So this was around the time that he was meeting his wife, who was a nurse. Um, but he did it in an interesting way. Because he made the incubated children a carnival sideshow. So, essentially what he did, and I don't, um, in my research I didn't figure out how many baboos he started with. Um, But I do know that his original intention was to set up uh, one sideshow attraction on uh, Coney Island's Luna Park. And the other one was going to be uh, in Dreamland because there were two parks in Coney Island um, that he could set up I... as like a sideshow. Dreamland is it like ended up to Boop. what's earn... up? Is it to earn money like for the sideshow? Yeah, like, is that yeah the plan for it? the sideshow was to earn money so that he could help more kids. 
So, um, Dreamland ended up burning down in May of 1911 before it opened. But all the incubator babies were saved. All the baboos and their baboo they're, they're and their okay. baboo cages were saved. The the kids are indeed all the right. The kids are for sure. <laughs> um but in this one. the and the infants in that one. were in incubators were transferred to the sideshow that was happening at Luna Luna Park. Um and they were referred to as child hatcheries. Which is not as cute as babu cages. Babu boxes. Babu boxes. Babu boxes. Also very good. I don't know. Child hatcheries, hatcheries is kind of cute. It, like, yeah, that's kind of cute. I don't know. I wish the maternity wards were called child, child hatcheries. hatcheries. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm like not opposed to this. So, um, essentially, uh, what would happen is he would charge twenty five cents. For people to come in and look at the Babu boxes. And the all the proceeds that were made allowed him to create more Babu boxes. And so essentially, this gentleman is just healing more and more kids by putting them on yeah. display to the public and showing them like... This is how we take care Look of premature it. babies. That's cool, though. Like, I don't know. Like, you use the things that are available to you. Right. Yeah. Like, like when, when I first started you telling me that he put them in a sideshow, I was like, hmm, that's I problematic. I was also skeptical. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I was like, oh, using the tools that you have to get better resources. Well, the, I mean, yeah, the first. The capitalist yeah. nightmare we live in has made this happen. However... Good play, sir. Yeah. Well, and it was Honestly, also in like it was also in 1903. So yeah, Facebook was the, like ten years the, away. Facebook was pretty close. MySpace would be invented two years later. Um, That's true. But he. So uh, all I'm saying is that the capitalistic nightmare that is the American healthcare system now was not nearly in full swing. Fair. Um, Fair. In not that yet. time. It was getting there. Uh, yeah, it was. Give it a give it two years. Uh, when MySpace. Yeah, gets when MySpace there gets there is when. really when the decline of the human population began. Um. So yeah, his whole his whole thing was, let me put these preemie babies on display, charge people twenty five cents, and people went nuts to see these preemie babies. Like they would shell out twenty five cents. I mean, like, what's better yeah, than brother. a baboo? Buy the hundred small baboo. Well, okay, so historically incorrect because extra small baboos are actually not better. They are yes. sadly worse. You know what I mean? I do. Though. No, like, yeah, I know. Like people would be like, "Oh, small what? baboo." Um. So what's better? Nothing. Yeah. They're in a box. They're in a box. <clears throat> uh, in my research, and again, I did. I did this quickly between things. Uh, so I might I might not have the greatest answers on this, but it's believed that uh, he had around eight thousand baboos. Holy shit! Uh, come through, well, like also, okay, so like he would cycle them out when they got healthy enough, obviously, yeah, to yeah. not be in an incubator. 
Um, and he saved the lives of more than 6,500 of them. Wow. And, Holy shit. And Good one of him. them happened to be his daughter, uh, whose name is yeah, Hildegard. And yep. as I mentioned, she was born in 1907, but he uh, kept her alive in a babu box, so... Um, out of out of curiosity, yeah. did they name her Hildegard? Because they uh, they were like, man, she's not gonna last. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get this name out of I'd, the way. I'd like to apologize on behalf of. Actually, you know what? No, uh, legal just called me and they said that I should say the following. Uh, the views on the name Hildegard <laughs> expressed by Megan in this episode are not shared by the other members of the Triumvirate. This is like an ugly, this ugly ass. It name. is. It's an interesting name, that's for sure. It's a name. It no, a name. I it's said an ugly ass name, not an interesting name. Don't put words. I in didn't my put mouth. words in your mouth. I'm just letting you know that legal is telling me that I should distance myself from your views on the name Hildegard. It's um, like it. Why do you sound like an 80-year-old? Why do I sound like an 80-year-old? This was 18-something no, like, or other. You you yeah, name a child Hildegard, and they immediately come out like Benjamin Button. Yeah. yeah. There's a... On a On a completely unrelated note, there's a woman that had a baby recently where I work, and everyone's yeah. walking by saying like, oh, your baby's so cute. Your baby's so cute. And I was like, your baby looks like a 50-year-old man. <laughs> they, babies look like they've messed up on their taxes and they're starting to get letters from the IRS. For sure. Yeah. That, like, there is no in-between. Like, they're tired all the time. What'd you do? What'd you do today? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, there's another baby at our facility who also looks like a grown man and so i have conversations with him as if he were <laughs> i love that. i will literally sit with him and be like hey what did you think of the weather today and he'll just stare at yeah. me and i'll be like it's interesting that you say that because i'm fairly certain that that was racist <laughs> you just assume he's a racist old man baby he okay. is a racist old man baby i say that to every baby think- though do you think this is what the Babu, the inventor of the, the Babu The inventor box of the Babu box. Uh, would also sit with the baby. Precisely, could, yeah. He had nowhere else When to go. everyone went home, he would cycle through the Babu room and he'd just have conversations with these Babus. Yeah, he'd be like, so uh, what, what's your stance on the War of 1812? And they would say, oh, babies. last Thursday, you mean? Yeah, they're like, oh, man, rough. (laughs) (laughs) But I did think it was interesting to talk about how this guy essentially made a, um, like, a sideshow attraction so that he could help save lives. Uh, Again, I I did want to touch back on the fact that um, he learned or studied under uh, Dr. Pierre... Boudin, I don't know if I. That's probably not how you say it, and I think he's French. Bordeaux. So it's probably uh, Bordeaux. Um, <laughs> but uh, this gentleman is. We're really coming after the French. We today. are always coming yep. after the French. 
Uh, yeah, but sometimes like we, it's not all okay. at once. It's like not such a concentrated. Literally, amount. three episodes ago, you ended the podcast by saying, "Where's the piss history?" After we spent <laughs> your entire story talking about how Paris smelt like piss. Okay, maybe I've been coming after the French recently, and I have no excuse other than they were mean to me once. Um, but this and I've never forgotten. This gentleman, uh, Pierre, is considered the founder of modern neonatal medicine, um, and so okay. it's believed that uh, whether he actually studied, whether Martin actually studied under him, or was just at one of his lectures, or was a technician on one of his uh, displays. Because as I mentioned, he had been using incubators to warm baby chicks and not baboos, not human baboos. Um, So the technology was really only being explored in the 1903, like once he got to 1903 era. Um, So that's essentially my story. I love that there were some baboos saved. We saved 6,500 baboos. And counting. He changed. So, like, the coolest thing about it, um, well, not, I guess it's not the coolest thing, because the coolest thing is that he saved 6,500 baboos. But uh, he had, just him alone had a success rate of more than 85% of, like, babies that were put in his care that made it that's pretty impressive and then like through the research of um his whole story i read a story about two premature babies they were twins um they were born prematurely and they weighed two pounds and he had managed to save um one of them whose name was lucille and her sister unfortunately passed um but she basically just said that without him doing this, uh, like the, the choice for a premature baby was 50, 50, you either made it or you didn't like, and with this, yeah, like there's nothing you can do. Uh, right, right, like, right. Where it's just like, you're either strong enough to do it or you don't. And this gave preemies like a, a fighting chance to like, even if they were born premature, they had like something that was helping them along, not like just, Oh, this one didn't make it. So, yeah, I love that. Yeah. So that's my heartwarming yeah. story of the evening. I love it. Love it. Was actually hard. Yeah, no, it, it was. was. It was. It was a good and story. I'm actually, I'm going to, I'm going to do something here, Matt, where I don't even have to cut you off. Okay, cool. Because I'm going to be nice today. Yay. Uh, as we're wrapping up our podcast tonight, quick sip of my fuzzy drink um i do want to give a shout out to all of our wonderful listeners we can't do this without you but if you would like to support us more than you do already just by listening you can well first off tell a friend that's pretty nice we don't advertise our show we don't pay money to advertise so you are kind of our front lines of advertisement by just being like hey go listen to this dope show but the other way you can support us is you can follow us on Instagram at the underscore triumvirate underscore productions. Or you can find us on Facebook if you just look up the triumvirate productions on Facebook. If you want to be really cool and you want to support us monetarily, we had a couple of times where we talked about Patreon 
subscribers and things that Patreon members get, you can find us on patreon.com slash triumvirtproductions. You can also, if you don't have the cash to spend, we understand that. If you don't want to do that, you can head over to iTunes and give us a review, a rating and review. It kind of pushes us up the charts when you do do that. Do-do. It makes us... Yeah, do-do. Haha. When you do that, it makes us look a lot better to the algorithm because, you know, the algorithm rules all. And so just by basically giving us a five-star rating and writing a little bit of something about how you like our stees, it, uh, it helps us out a lot. So... Matt, now that I haven't cut you off, take it away! I have but one question to ask, and that question is... What the fuck, history? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.